The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another, if we, be- if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later, he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. Bishop William Hobart Hare was the first bishop of the Diocese of South Dakota. He came from the East. He came from Pennsylvania. And when he came to that diocese, it was really a missionary diocese. They called it the Niobrara. Uh, the Niobrara got its name from the Niobrara River, which uh, forms part of the boundary between Nebraska and South Dakota. Bishop Hare was an amazingly faithful bishop. He became known as the Apostle of the West. And when he died, his see was in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. When he died, the entire town closed down in honor of his life. Bishop Hare confirmed many Native American people in South Dakota. And as he did that, he followed the the, uh, custom in the East of issuing a confirmation certificate to everyone who was confirmed. Well, he soon realized that among the native people, a document like that didn't have much sway. So he decided something else needed to be developed. So they had a sense of what had happened in their life. And in the process, he eventually came up with the idea of developing the Niobrara cross. I'm wearing one today. And that cross was given to every Native American who was confirmed. Later, the convention of the diocese decided that all who were confirmed in the diocese were entitled to wear the Niobrara cross. Many years later, 
I was working for the Bishop of South Dakota, Bishop Creighton Robertson. And once he and I were at a meeting on the Pine Ridge Reservation and someone had come to him and said that Zona fills the pipe was very sick and that she would like someone to visit her. But also she had lost her Niobrara cross and she wondered if the bishop could bring her a new one. So we went to see Zona. Zona was very well known in the diocese, really also in the national church. Uh, she was a direct descendant of three Sioux Nation chiefs, the most prominent of whom was uh, Chief Red Cloud. And she had a picture of Chief Red Cloud on her uh, living room wall. Zona was a very faithful Christian and very proud to be an Episcopalian. And she also had a way of honoring traditional religion, the Native American religion, and finding where the nexus was between those two. And she was able to bring the two together in a way that enriched her life, but also made it possible for her to be a good witness in her community. Zona was in the middle of the room when we got there. She was surrounded by a lot of extended family. And Bishop Creighton, who is a Native American himself, went over to Zona and kneeled down beside her chair. And he took out the Niobrara cross. He blessed it in her presence and gave it to her. She was delighted to receive it. And then he said, Zona, will you pray for me and bless me? And she did. And then she prayed for me and blessed me. And that moment was so spirit filled. It was so holy. This elder of the Oglala who was there with us, we had come to minister to her and she had ministered to us. I've often thought back on that moment. It was for me, I think, the image of the church. That's the church that we all pray for. A church where we are all Christ to the other. No matter if we're a bishop, a priest, a deacon, or a layperson in the church. And that has been my anchor in ministry. To remember always that we minister to one another. Well, the gospel today is about authority. And we in the Episcopal Church know a lot about authority. <laughs> we have people that go around in pointy hats, <laughs> and we give them a great deal of respect. And then, of course, they're the clergy with their funny collars. There's all of that, symbols of authority. This gospel, I think, will help us get a better sense of the dangers of becoming arrogant in being religious. Well, to set the scene, this occurs uh, after Jesus had made the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And then he went to the temple and he overthrew, overthrew the uh, tables of the, of the uh, money changers and drove the money changers out. And then he left and apparently went to Bethany, probably with his disciples, to the home of uh, Martha and Mary and spent the night. And then the next day is where this account occurs. He returns to Jerusalem, goes to the temple, and begins to teach. And while he's doing that, the priests of the temple and the elders of the people come to him. Now think about what had happened. He had disrupted the economy of the temple the day before. So there was a lot of, uh, of accounting to be done by him. Why? How? What authority do you have? So they challenged him. On what authority do you do these things? And that included his teaching. And Jesus said, 
that he had a question for them in good rabbinical style. He didn't answer directly. And he said, if you'll answer my question, I'll tell you what authority I did that. So he says that, uh, first of all, he asked the question to them about uh, two sons. And these, uh, he gives this parable of the two sons the father sends into the vineyard. And the one son says he will go, but he doesn't. And the other son says he's not going to go, but he does. And then he asks them, who did the father's will? And they say, the first. And then Jesus responds in this very strange way. Truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into, into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. This account, I think, sets before us religious arrogance on the one hand and faithful outcasts on the other. The arrogance of the religious authorities blinded them to the possibility that God could do something that they couldn't imagine. And I think this is the danger of our religious institutions. We decide that God acts in a particular way or that God is expressed in the life of, of the body of the church or of the fellowship in a particular way. Now, John the Baptist didn't fit the mold at all for the folks at the temple. He was a wild man. He was out in the wilderness, ate locusts. He was dressed in, in animal skins. His hair was completely unruly. He did trim his beard. He probably even didn't smell very good. So John the Baptist just didn't fit what they understood as an expression of God. So when Jesus asked them, you know, where did his authority come from? If they said it came from heaven, then why didn't you believe them? He would have asked. And if they said it came from man, then they ran the risk of getting in trouble with the people who saw in John a prophet. I believe it's possible for us as well to become so narrow in our understanding of the way God can express God's self that we can miss the grace of God. There are people, I'm convinced, who express the grace of God in a way that we can't imagine and sometimes can't receive. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they had no respect. All these religious people that were challenging Jesus had all kinds of respect. They had position. They had access to the holy places of Israel. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes were reviled. Yet they were the ones who could see goodness in John. They were the ones who saw the possibility for a change in life. And they went out to John in the wilderness to the river to be baptized. The text, I think, is also a reminder that we should not presume anything about the spiritual lives of other people. God reaches out to people and is active in the lives of people that we might not guess. I think it's so important for us to accept people where they are in their spiritual journey. We are all seeking one way or another. 
I think about our bishops, uh, Bishop Tom and now Bishop Allen. While they have all the authority given to them by the church and they have a great deal of respect because of the responsibility that they carry, they are still people like you and me who are seeking to understand how to live out this Christian life. I've heard Bishop Tom talk about that so many times, referring to how he prays and what he hears in his prayer life. And it's obvious that he is constantly referring back to God, how might I lead this life and do the things that you would ask me to do? One of the things that we know about Jesus from the accounts in the Gospels is that he was accused of eating and drinking with sinners with tax collectors and with prostitutes. The thing that's so wonderful about Jesus' ministry is that he didn't confine it to the twelve or even to that crowd that followed him, but rather his ministry was where people really lived, where people's lives actually were engaged day in and day out. I think that's important for us as the church as well. We are not intended to just maintain a holy club. We are called to be out where people are living their lives and they're engaging questions that are so difficult. And some of those questions are really impossible to answer, but we can be with them as they seek to find a way to live into those questions that they have in their lives. I think there's nothing more, more powerful than a Christian being present with another person who is in need or who is struggling to understand how to live their life. Well, I think it's important for us to remember that ministry is not embodied in people who wear collars. Uh, Becky and I are paid. And for that reason, many people look upon us and say, well, they're paid to be religious. You know, that's their job. They also, I think, people assume things about uh, folks who are ordained, uh, assuming perhaps that we have all the answers, that we've sorted it all out. The truth is that we are all seeking. We are all struggling with our spiritual life. I knew Bishop Creighton well enough to know he was a man who was very, very humble, who was willing to question and willing to seek and to find support wherever he could. And that day that we were with Zona, he was seeking her blessing because he needed it, and he knew he did. Today we celebrate ministry. Uh, We celebrate uh, 20 years of music ministry for Robert. And I think it's important for us to recognize... It's important for us to to lift up those ministries because they transform our lives. So many people's lives have been touched by Robert's music ministry. But there are also so many of you who have touched people's lives. And all of that has gone without any recognition. And I, I hope that today you will think about how your life has really been ministry in so many ways. And it's the simple things we do. It's not uh, trying to explain great theological premises. It's not about trying to have some kind of holier-than-thou life. It's about living life in the real world with real people and engaging that life in such a way that we might be Christ to the other. God is calling you 
and me to that ministry. And I pray that we can be faithful in that. Amen.